0: The song said America the Beautiful. I think they oversold it. I hate it here. If we don't go home, I'll die. Or run away. Either way, it'll be something dramatic. So it's
1: 1985, the age of big hair and even bigger shoulder pads. The Castelli family has just moved from the Dominican Republic to Miami in pursuit of the American dream. That dream includes a house in the suburbs, a white picket fence, a huge backyard pool, and of course a plush green lawn, Only when they get here, America is not quite what they imagined. That's the beginning of the coming-of-age HBO Max sitcom Gordita Chronicles. It centers around Cuckoo, a brave 12-year-old who's called Gordita, which means little chubby. Now, back home in the Dominican Republic, it's usually a term of endearment. But Cuckoo learns on her first day of school in America, Gordita here is not a compliment. Hey, watch where
2: you're going, fatso. My name's Fatso, It's Cuckoo. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Hey,
1: Fatso means gordita, gordita. The story of Cuckoo and her family is loosely inspired by the life of Claudia Forestieri. She's the show creator and co-executive producer of Gordita Chronicles. After the break, we'll chat with Claudia and showrunner Bridget Munoz-Libowitz. We'll discuss the show, of course, but also what it means to have a lead character like Cuckoo. I'm Celeste Headley, in for Jen White, and you're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Let's jump into the conversation. Joining us now is Claudia Forestieri. She's the show creator and an executive producer of Gordita Chronicles. Welcome, Claudia.
2: Hi. Hi. Great to be here, Celeste.
1: Great to have you. And we also have the showrunner and co-executive producer, Brigitte Munoz-Liebowitz. Brigitte, welcome to 1A. Hey, thanks for having us. First, congratulations to both of you. Gordita Chronicles is a hit, I think, based on the, the chatter that I've seen. It's been called the sitcom of the summer by the LA Times. Claudia, this is the first show you've ever pitched and created, which is mind-blowing to me. How do you feel about the way it's uh, resonating with uh, viewers?
2: Um, well, this is something I've been kind of agonizing about for a while because um, we've been working so hard on it, uh, me and bridge for like a year and a half. And I had no idea how it was going to be received, but we like put both of our hearts and souls into this along with a team of literally hundreds of people. So it's just extremely gratifying, validating, um, surreal. Uh, I mean, I'm on cloud nine.
1: So, Bridget, they say don't read the reviews.
0: Have you read them? <laughs> and, and what do you think of the response? I, I have, mostly because Claudia sends them to me. <laughs> um, no, but, and we've had some really supportive friends and, um, you know, everybody in our lives that have watched us work on this for so, I mean, years now, that um, it's, they've been so generous. I am really just... That's not always how it goes, and I don't want to jinx anything, but everybody's been so kind about the show. And you know what they saw? I think they're seeing what we wanted them to see and feel what we wanted them to feel, and that makes us feel like we did our job.
1: I mean, I'm I'm biased because I loved every minute of the show, Um, so let me just put that out there in the the interest of transparency. But, Claudia, this show is loosely based on your experience. At, At what point did you think this, my story, my individual story is a story worth telling.
2: I had some help. So it it started in in 2017, around there. I had been um, in LA for many years trying to break in as a TV writer, written many scripts. And I was given the advice of writing a script that only you can write. So that's what inspired me along with our very anti-immigrant former president who had a lot of, you know, very negative things to say about the immigrant community that triggered thoughts of um, the 1980s in, in South Florida and how because of the cocaine related crime, all, all immigrants were kind of given a bad rap. So those two things um, pointed me to the 80s. And I was like, well, what if I write about my childhood? But I never thought that this could actually be a TV show that people would want to watch until, you um, Frank Choa at Sony. I had a general meeting with him and he read the script and he was the one who was like, you know what? It used to, the script used to be one hour dramedy. And he's like, I think this could be a show. Are you willing to turn it into a half hour comedy? And I was like, at that point he could have told me, are you willing to turn it into a procedural? And I would have said, yes. I'm like, <laughs> you know, like you think this could be a show really? And that's how kind of like the whole thing began.
1: Yeah, and of course, this is not a a biography, this is loosely based on your experience. But I wonder, Bridget, when you first read this script, understanding that you probably read a lot of scripts, um, what made you want to jump on this particular project?
0: So, a a couple different things. Um, I'll start with my immediate personal connection to the material which is that I'm, my, my mom uh, came to the United States when she was 12 years old from Colombia in the 1960s. And I grew up hearing about her experiences coming here. And um, I, being a first generation uh, child of immigrants as well, experienced a lot of the same uh, things that I was reading in Claudia's script. Also, I used to be a gordita, definitely emph- em- empathize with that. And it, when I when I saw Claudia's, it's, it's Claudia's, based on Claudia's story, but so many of those experiences felt personal to me and to so many other people as we're finding. So it was an immediate connection to the material. Besides, it was cute as hell and so funny. And uh, that was a no-brainer for me. The second part of it was that I knew Claudia, actually. She and I had participated in the NBC Writers on the Verge program in 2013. We were... Um, in that program together, uh, trying to break into television. And we you know, had gotten along great when we were in that program together. So it was really incredible and gratifying to see my colleague achieve this incredible uh, realization of, of her talent and her life experience. And so when I saw that it was her, it was her script, it was like even, <laughs> even more incentive to join the team.
1: So the main character, as we mentioned, is Cuckoo Castelli. She is played by young actress Olivia Gonsalves, um, who says that in real life she is a lot like her character. This is a young lady who has more personality than will fit in her body. Um, She is, both she and the main character are bold, outgoing, 12 years old, Dominican. Um, Let's take a listen to a a scene from the show. This is when Cuckoo wants to experience a typical American Halloween for the first time and she's talking to her mom Adela played by Diana, uh, Diana Maria Mariva Google, Tell
2: us more about this Chuck E. Cheese thing Mommy, trick or treating yeah. Kids dress up and go knocking door to door collecting candy for being cute This holiday was made for me. Okay, espérate one second. We have to buy candy with our money to give to other people's children for free. Exactamente, mommy. What kind of ridiculous holiday is that? One I've been waiting for my entire life. Come on, you let her go out with her friends all the time. Plus, I'm way tougher than her anyways. See? I promise I'll be back by 10.
1: Cuckoo is a character that I certainly have never seen on TV before. Um, She has a lot of qualities that... Um, just have not been featured in a main character. They're they're often the the subsidiary characters, right? And and Claudia, let me go to you first. Why was it important to have this particular character? Why why was it important for Cuckoo to be the lead?
2: Um, well, it started off because that was. It's loosely inspired by me. And um, I always saw myself as the protagonist of my own story. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I kind of wish growing up that I had someone plus size to look up to that um, had a similar background to me. And, you know, usually in the 80s, if you saw a plus size character on TV, they were n- never the protagonist. And they were often the butt of the joke. And um, you'd be hard-pressed to find, um, in the 80s and 90s, a character that was plus size that was, you know, well-rounded. And um, Pardon I always, you know, wanted this to be a story from her point of view. Obviously, it's built into the title. Yeah. And um, I felt like it was an important point of view, because as, as Gorditas, being Gordita in Latin society um, and in Miami was a very unique thing. And it was very challenging, like in a city, growing up in a city where people are like half naked half the time, like, and being like self-conscious about your body and gordita um, was very challenging, especially, you know, Miami's full of a lot of Caribbean people and Caribbean people, they always feel the need to comment on your body size, whatever that might be. So it was always important to, to have that, you know, be a huge part of the DNA of the show that the story is told through her perspective.
1: So, so Bridget, how did you go about handling this issue of, of body image? I mean, were there, were there guidelines for, for writers? And as you moved forward on how to handle this,
0: we talked about it a lot. Um, we always felt, uh, that we didn't want, at least in the first season, beyond what we talk about on the pilot, acknowledging that it is an issue in America, it is an issue in the Latinx community, we didn't want the show to be about her weight. We just wanted to tell a story through the perspective of a protagonist that we don't normally get to see. So we always treated her uh, attitude towards her own body as one of confidence, one of maybe not even being totally aware of how big of an issue it really could be uh, in her life. And so that gave us a lot more freedom to let her be confident and let her be that very big personality. We let her personality be big and we commented on that more than her body, which I think really served us.
1: Now, Juanita from Dallas is a first-generation Mexican-American. She wrote to us and said, I loved how the show displayed the culture shock Latinos face when migrating to the U.S. The show lets viewers know some of the struggles we go through when adjusting, and it's somewhat comforting to have that on the show because it's so relatable. Let's not forget the comedic side of the show and display of our culture too. I can't wait to see more of the show. Now, Claudia, you moved from Puerto Rico to Miami instead of the Dominican Republic as Cuckoo does, also in the 80s. Can you tell us a little bit about the culture shocks you faced? Do you remember what some of your biggest surprises were?
2: Um, yeah. So um, my family's Dominican and I was, I was actually the only one in the whole family to be born in Puerto Rico. So I always felt like not only was I the gordita one in the family, but I was the only one that born in Dominican Republic, but I consider myself Dominican because that's a culture I, I grew up in. So in San Juan, my dad was working for an airline. He was, had a high ranking position. Um, we had um, a live-in housekeeper slash nanny that half of her job was just taking care of me. I was going to to a private school. Um, you know, one of the best private schools, you know, in on the island and um we lived like in a condo with an ocean view in one of the nicest neighborhoods. And then we come to Miami and it's supposed to be I was 7 years old, so the culture shock was real and it was really strong and um I couldn't understand how it was supposed to be a step forward <laughs> and why we had done this. Like they had, tra- I knew that my they had transferred my dad, but, um, culture shock at school, how the kids behaved. I had, you know, been up to that point in a Catholic school, very strict with nuns as teachers and then come to, to a public school where the kids are, were wilder from my perspective. And I had never even met a bully before I you know, they didn't have that in the school. I was like, "What?" I remember one of my first um, days in school, uh, a girl in my in the bathroom, like tried to block the exit and asked me for lunch money, and I was like terrified. And I, you know, just thank goodness, like I, I was like, "Oh, you know, no speaking English," and I ran <laughs> to the principal's office and knocked on her as fast as I could. But um, another pleasant surprise, though, and the thing that won me over was Halloween like I could not believe that there really was an actual holiday where you could go and get free candy like door to door and like it it was like unlimited it felt like oh my god like there's hundreds of houses like so many houses so little time so that was a culture shock in a positive way that won me over so in episode
1: two cuckoo's punished for speaking Spanish at school and I understand this was actually inspired by a real experience you had can you tell us about that
2: yeah, I was um, in, I was seven years old when I came and I was in second grade and um, I I thought I spoke English because um, I had taken a little bit of English um, in my school um, in San Juan. But in reality, no. And the first day um, I was back. Um, sorry, the second day I was in school, um, we had to take a test and I was freaking out in puerto rico I had been an honor student so all of a sudden i'm given a test i don't know what it's about um i can't speak english i can't read what's on it and i copied from the girl next to me because she was blonde and i figured oh she knows what's going on she's american the next day they call in both of our parents and it turned out we both failed we both had the same answers and she was cuban and she had just come on the mario boat lift so she knew as little english as i did so um That incident was funny, but then after that, I kept not being able to speak English, and my teacher grew even more frustrated with me, and first, she started putting me in the corner, then she started putting me outside, then one time, she put you outside? Outside. And left you outside? Yes. Okay. In the Miami heat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, all right. And I, I remember one day, they even, like, went to lunch and, like, forgot about me. Oh. And yeah, it was devastating. And I was, you know, I was seven and I was crying and crying and crying. I was crying so much that day that they had to call my mom to come pick me up. And my mom did something very smart. Like she saw how sad I was and she's like, you know what? You don't have to go back to school, you know? So the rest of the week, like I took off. And then when my dad, my dad had been traveling for work for Eastern Airlines. And when he came back, he kind of gave me a pep talk because my dad grew up like in three, actually four different countries. He was born in the Dominican Republic. And then um, he went to grammar school in New York. And then he went to boarding school in Switzerland. And then he went to college in Rome. And he spoke four languages. And he talked to me about all the times that he had to move and he had to learn a language and a new culture. And that kind of gave me the strength to kind of go back. And then after that, things were better. How long did it take
1: you to, to feel that you were comfortable in English?
2: I think about a year. I remember by third grade, um, I was already um, out of uh, like ESOL classes. Mm. So eventually I was in ESOL classes, but ESOL classes. English as a
1: second language. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Eng, yeah, English for Speakers of Other Languages was, some. in other places, it's, it's different letters. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. yeah. I about was a in year. Some, yeah, some of the classes I was in in second grade were ESOL, but not all of them. So the ones where I didn't have the benefit of that bilingual education, I was stuck with yeah. the teacher who didn't really like Spanish speakers.
1: We are talking about the new HBO Max series, Gordita Chronicles. We'll hear more from you and our guests in just a moment. Now let's get back to talking about the new HBO Max sitcom, *Gordita Chronicles. We're here with show creator Claudia Forestieri and showrunner Brigitte munoz libowitz The series is about a family who moves from the Dominican Republic to Miami in pursuit of the American dream. And the L.A. Times has called it the sitcom of the summer. So, Brigitte, let me ask you, uh, this show could easily have been the dramedy that Claudia originally wrote, why lean into the humor? Why is a, a 30 minute uh, comedy the right format for it?
0: Sure. I mean well what I personally feel when discussing you know heavier issues you you need to have a little bit of salty with I me mean, sugar, uh, sugar with the salt. do you know what I'm saying? I think you know immigration is uh, can be a very heavy subject, a very d- difficult thing for people to experience. However, I feel like we've seen that. The, the the stories of immigration that we've seen in media have pretty much been ones of stories of crisis. People fleeing, you know, violence, dictatorships, uh, things in, to do with the drug trade. We've seen all that already. We know it exists, but we t- haven't really seen are the people and the families behind all of those stories. And we've sort of I feel like they've become this monolith of sadness, in a way, um, in, the, in, the, in those, the, those former portrayals. And we've not gotten to really know the individuals, the children, the moms, the relationships, the siblings, because those those exist. We're all people. We don't stop being people with senses of humor and hopes and dreams, and you know funny relationships within families just because we've immigrated. And I think we really wanted to show that that exists, um, you know, even, even though people are experiencing this big life change. And so the comedy of it all, I think helps, helps people understand immigration on a more human level, first of all. And second, I think it helps people that don't have any familiarity with the experience of immigration, access it. People can empathize, I think, a lot better when there's a chuckle involved.
1: So Jaime called us from Colorado. He moved to the United States from Mexico seven years ago. And he told us he realized the American dream was a, quote, harsh reality.
2: When we arrived, the idea of the American dream had been established by my other American-Mexican family members who had nice houses, nice cars, and a seemingly perfect family. After my mom had to work here as a housekeeper to make ends meet, it became clear that the American dream was more of a harsh reality. She had to work long hours to put food on the table, and it was a very hard work. But eventually, it paid off, and I could say that the American dream was more of a challenge than... fantasy.
1: Claudia, what do you make of that comment that the American dream is a challenge?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we we see that in the show. The family um, comes with this very rosy picture of what the United States is going to be. The mom, um, you know, wants a house with uh, a pool and a jacuzzi. And um, even in um, Miami, where the majority is, um, you know, like, Latino, um, it's still very challenging. Um, even also in Miami where Spanish is spoken widely, it's still a challenge. So it's just by being a new place, um, with new customs and new traditions and new people, it's challenging and you have to work extremely hard. Um, however, I mean, there's a reason there's so many immigrants, like if it weren't, a net positive outcome, I don't think so many people would still be wanting to come to the United States. It's like anything in life that's worth having. Like I, for example, didn't know it would take me nine years to get my first job as a TV writer, even though I had had my previous career in journalism. And it was a lot of hard work. And, um, but here I am, I made it and it was worth it. So obviously if it wasn't worth it, I wouldn't still be here in LA like trying to work hard. So, yes, the American dream is a challenge, but I think any dream that anyone ever has is like anything worth getting usually takes a lot of work.
1: So, Gordita Chronicles is set in 1985. And and I wonder Bridget, were there specific movies or or directors that you looked to to try to help you get into the headspace of the of the 1980s?
0: Yes, absolutely. We really really look to the John Hughes movies um, uh, for some visual and tonal inspiration for the show and the and Chris Columbus films as well. Uh, we, we realized that by referencing these classics that everybody, us included, grew up watching, we would, again, be able to make it a little bit easier for people that didn't have familiarity with immigration to understand by putting our Latinx family in a traditional, like in a very well-known Anglo-Midwestern American pop environment or look or alluding to it, they might be able to really understand them a bit more as protagonists of this story. So we created a world that was a hybrid referencing John Hughes movies. Although but also- I'm told you didn't call him John Hughes. Oh, no, we we called it our Juan Hughes uh, tone and feeling of of the show because we mixed it with the all culture sound sights of Miami. so it became a hybrid style yes that we liked to call Juan Hughes
1: <laughs> now, actor Dasha Polanco narrates as the older cuckoo uh, looking back on her she she's telling the story of her childhood life that is similar to shows that we've seen before. The Wonder Year is fresh off the boat. Everybody hates Chris. Bridget, what what kind? What kind of? Um, what does it help you as a, as a showrunner to have narration? What does that do for you?
0: Sure. Well, it was part of the original DNA of Claudia's concept, actually. When I read the script for the first time, so I think what it offers are, first of all, for our audience we know is mixed. It offers explanation for those people who aren't familiar with the Latinx culture, we're able to explain certain things so that everybody can be on the same page. That was one of our main utilities as part of it. But for also for our story, we wanted in a way to allude to the fact that this all added up to something. Somebody in the this all paid off in a certain way. Somebody in the future made it through all of this and is in good enough shape to tell, to tell us with sense of humor, the story of what happened. So it was in giving us some perspective uh, and commentary on what we're watching, both for a, uh, a practical reason and also for um, a sort of an emotional uh, underpinning to let everybody know, hey, this, this ends up in a positive place.
1: I found it interesting, since you talk about there being a mixed audience, Um, I am not Latinx, I'm Black and Jewish, right? But I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, There's a lot of moments in here where you seem to be allowing those who make mistakes when it comes to uh, Hispanic and Latino culture to laugh at their own mistake. Um, For example, uh, there's a woman who immediately assumes that the dad is in the drug trade and brings a security officer to a business meeting, and yet that woman eventually becomes a friend. Um, and there's also this this joke about thinking that he, the dad is going to like chimichangas, <laughs> um, which you know a lot of people just assume, uh, you know, Latin. There's one type of Latin food. I, I wondered, Claudia, what were you thinking of a- as your team put these episodes together? What ways did you think of in terms of reaching out to that mixed audience that Bridget mentioned?
2: Um, Well, we wanted to highlight some of the differences between the different Latino cultures. So first by um, kind of establishing a little bit about what Dominican culture is and then also starting to contrast it in funny ways little by little. We don't want this to be kind of like a documentary type series, right? It's fun. But with the second episode that me and Bridget co-wrote, with the coffee, just with that whole little coffee thing. So there's a lot of things that unite like Latin American cultures, but there's also distinctive differences. So we tried to you know, whenever we could shine a light on that. With the coffee, um, second episode, they're about to make up, you know, Adela made a misstep with the neighbors, not offering them coffee. And then they start fighting over which type of coffee is best. So we wanted just to kind of poke fun at some of the differences, some of the little rivalries. And um, that was very intentional and um, something that if we get a season two, I would love to just keep going with. And as well as Yes. Like a lot of times um, in in Miami, there's a lot of Caribbean people, but outside of Miami, I always had to explain to people where the Dominican Republic was and what that culture was and people didn't really understand it. So we're really hoping, of course we want people to laugh and be entertained, but we're also hoping that people start to understand. And as Bridge said before, um, comedy is a great way for people to kind of understand new concepts and with the Valerie character too the real estate agent who makes that mistake we also wanted to show um uh, when there was the big influx of immigrants in Miami in the 80s and it really shifted what Miami was about and the makeup of it and not you know some people just needed a little bit more time to adjust and catch up because Miami really changed a lot in the 80s so we also wanted to kind of show like a little bit of a redemption story in in the Valerie character. She's a little bit ignorant at first, but then she kind of has a learning curve and an arc.
1: So Gordita Chronicles, it it has a certain authenticity to it. There are not only Latinx people on screen, they're also behind the screen. Um, Zoe Saldana serves as an executive producer, so does Eva Longoria. But also, Bridget, what were you looking for as you started to assemble the team to make this show?
0: Yeah. Um, well, we knew we wanted to write everything from the heart. And, um, you know, I think you can tell when something is false on television. There, It just, I don't, you, you can tell when something's made up and not true. So we wanted to stock the room with people who had experienced immigration firsthand, whether they were immigrants themselves or children of immigrants. So that's what we ended up uh, finding. 80% of our Writers are either immigrants or children of immigrants, Um, and uh, we're also 80% uh, people of color. And uh, we, all the stories that, and the remaining writers are either from Miami or Gordito, Gordita. So we've got a nice mix of all the different perspectives that we represent in our show. And all the stories in every episode are based on real life experiences from all of our writers that we've taken, shared, laughed about and then adapted for our family on the screen.
1: And and we still don't know if there will be a season 2?
0: No, no. You guys are shaking your heads. No, we don't know yet.
1: <laughs> We're right. anxiously awaiting to hear. <laughs> well, if the HBO Max executives are listening right now, I support a season two. Um, we've been speaking with show creator Claudia Forestieri and showrunner Bridget Munoz libowitz of the new HBO Max series Gordita Chronicles. Thank you both so much for your time. Thank
2: you. Thank for you, me. Celeste, and thank you to your listeners. Such a pleasure, thank
1: you. Today's producer was Mia Estrada, and this program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, We're distributed by NPR. I'm Celeste Headley, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A.